All right. What a beautiful morning, huh? It's like, it's like one of those mornings that's just like just right, I think. It's just a nice shower yesterday evening and sunny skies this morning. Grass looks happy. Um, I like it. Hey, if you're new here this morning, we want to extend uh, just a special welcome to you. We're grateful that you're here this morning, that you've chose to come and worship with, with us this morning. And it's just always so good to be together and just to, to worship, to, to sing praise, to, to, to see the, just a diversity of people to come together for Jesus. What a, what a great thing. Um, so yeah, I wanted to start out by, by just, uh, you know, we, we've got about a, whew, let's see, how long has it been? About a 15-year relationship with uh, Misha and Rosa in Ukraine. And, and thankfully, here lately, uh, they are, they, they have not been in the middle of, of the fighting. They're, they're, the little town that they're in hasn't really been targeted, but, but, but one just, just uh, about 30 miles away, they said, had a cruise missile attack on the refineries and, and, and some infrastructure and stuff the other evening. But we've been able to just to start to trickle some money into those guys. And, and so we have some money earmarked to get into those guys. And I thought, what, what, what a cool thing that we just have this relationship that's already in place where we can just get money into the, the country. We're, we're trying to do it like slowly so that it doesn't draw a lot of attention to them because, you know, it can be kind of weird times that way. But, but Misha just wrote um, uh, a thing the other day. He said, how grateful we are to the Lord that, uh, that, that there are you all people faithful to God. We offer prayers for you with tears of gratitude. Tomorrow, the topic of my sermon is the service, at the service is faithful to the faith. And I just want to just encourage you guys that, like, I mean, that's something that you're, you know, we're a part of right now as a church body is that we're, we're actively helping to send some aid and some relief into Ukraine. And we're uniquely positioned to be able to do that through a relationship that God put in place um, 15 years ago. So super excited about, about that. And, you know, it, it's really humbling to hear from him because, honestly, we sent him uh, uh, just a couple of times. We, we weren't able to get money to him for a while because everything was kind of shut down that way. And, and I think we've sent him something like only like $600. But we said, hey, we've got money earmarked, Misha, and we, we need to know how... How quick of intervals do you want this money to come? You know, and how much? And, and he said, "Oh, you guys have done so much." You know, and, and he was like, "It's amazing how grateful he is for how little that we've actually given to them." I mean, it's just—it's it, really something. I mean, it's not even a sacrifice for us at, at all, but for them, it, it's huge. It's—it's it's just everything, and so. Um, we've got about, at this point, we've got about $4,000 earmarked to get to those guys, and so we're excited to be able to get that to them and allow them to disperse it as the needs present themselves. So good job, you guys. Thank you for being a part of that. So I had hoped last week that like, I wouldn't be all sniffly and stuff, but one thing about this, I don't know, this weather, there's something out there that is just beating me up some allergy of some sort that I usually don't have, but man, it is, it's been beating me up this year. So if you will, just uh, be patient with me here as I sniffle my way through this thing, like that. So 
We are in Mark, the, cha- uh, the book of Mark, and we're going straight through. We're just teaching, um, expository teaching through the book of Mark. We're just hitting everything. We're, we're trying to deal with everything. And today we find ourselves in chapter 6, verses 14 through 32. Now, this whole section has been kind of an interesting section. section. It's been kind of this, uh, this, this thing where we've where we, where we saw just Jesus active and his ministry and all kinds of healing and all kinds of things going on, a lot of teaching, a lot of healing. He's casting out demons. He's traveling throughout the region. There's just crowds, throngs of people that are following him. And then all of a sudden, we see where he makes this transition. Last week, we went and he, he ends up in his hometown, right? And, and, it, and they're just, there's not much of a, a, a turnout there. And, and Jesus makes the, the comment, you know, well, you know, a prophet is, is basically pretty popular everywhere except for his hometown. And we talked about how, how these people were so close, that they were so close to it that they were actually very far away. They were familiar, very familiar with the things of Jesus, but they didn't really know Jesus. They, didn't, they, they, they weren't ready to accept him for really who he was or who he is. They were, they, they were more so just kind of like questioning, isn't this guy the carpenter's son? And, and really, is this, I don't know, you know, and, and it says that he, he left there and that he wasn't able to do many miracles there. Now, again, it wasn't that the people and their unbelief had stifled God and his ability to do miracles. It's that simply they wouldn't come to him, that simply they didn't recognize him. They didn't see him as someone to come to. And so they stayed back and, and, and God is, is uh, he's just a respecter of our personhood. He's a respecter of the free will that he's given you and I. And, and we talked last week about just our responsibility for our own healing, our responsibility to, to go to him and to approach him and to allow him to do everything that he wants to do. So, and then we saw too that he had sent his disciples out into the world um, with this message, the message of, of, of hope and the message of the gospel. And so, now what we do is we, we kind of have this little spot where we're going to look backwards a little bit into the death of John the Baptist, and, and we've got these interesting people, the Herods, that we're going to look at. And Herod, the title in itself means like hero. And, and so remember when Jesus was born, there was a Herod that was in charge over that region, and his name was Herod the Great. And, and Herod the Great was about, evidently he was about four foot nine, and he built great things. He, he, he was always, he was a builder, and he, he was trying to win the favor of the Jewish people, but the Jewish people didn't care much for him at all. Uh, they, they, they didn't see him as, they wouldn't acknowledge him as their king because he had an Edomite background. But he's the one who built the temple, the second temple, um, that, that the Romans ultimately destroyed in 70 B.C., he was the one who was in charge when Jesus was born, and he was the one who ordered the slaughter of the innocents or all of the babies under two years old when the Magi came, and they, uh, <clears throat> they were looking for this king that was, had been born, and he tried to kind of manipulate them into giving uh, him the, the identity of Jesus, and he, uh, they, they left by a different way, and so he said, look, just kill all the male children two years and older or younger. <clears throat> and so he was totally paranoid, this guy was. As a matter of fact, he had his favorite wife killed. Um, he accused her of adultery and an assassination plot. Eventually, he killed her two sons, her brother, her grandfather, her mother, and years later, he married his, or he murdered his oldest son. So 
This is not the guy you wanted to be like in close proximity to. He was, he was uh, incredibly paranoid about losing power in, these, uh, in this situation. And he was willing to do whatever it took to stay in those positions of power. He was this super dangerous guy. So after, about 6 BC, or 6 AD, I'm sorry, um, he basically, he died. And, and Herod Archelaus ruled um, uh, after that, and he, but he ruled up in Judea and Samaria. Herod Antipas is the guy that we're dealing with today. He's the guy who's in charge over the region of Galilee um, and Perea. Uh, he uh, divorced his wife, and he married his brother's wife, Herodias, okay? He's the guy who had John the Baptist beheaded. Um, Jesus referred to him as that fox, Herod. Um, Pilate sent Jesus to him during the trial um, leading up to the crucifixion. And actually, on that very day, Herod and Pilate, I guess, became good buddies. So, let's start here. Verse 14, if you've got your Bible open, turned on, uh, grab a pew Bible from in front of you. We're in chapter 6, verse 14. And, and this is talking about, beginning by talking about the, the, the ministry of Jesus and what all's going on. It says that King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. And others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So, Herod is hearing what's going on. He's understanding. As a matter of fact, Herod was quite intrigued with the ministry of Jesus, as well as John the Baptist. We'll see here in just a minute. But Herod right now is being haunted by his past, right? When he starts hearing of these things going on and, and what's happening, his whole background and all of this stuff is that, oh my gosh, what I've done and who I've been is now catching up to me. And, 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 and this, this can really be the case for us a lot of times. As a matter of fact, mistakenly, Christians, sometimes we adhere more to... Um, uh, <sighs> We, we adhere to something closer to karma sometimes than what the Bible actually teaches. So karma is this. Karma would say that no good deed goes unrewarded and no evil deed goes unpunished. So regardless of what's coming to you in your life, it's the result of something that you've done. It's either something that you have done or something that you haven't done, but ultimately in karma, cosmic justice is being dealt out to you. Now, the Bible doesn't teach this. The Bible teaches something that's close to this, though. The Bible teaches, don't be fooled, God's not mocked, right? For whatever a man sows, from this he will reap. So in other words, in our lives, if we're throwing seeds out there that are not good seeds, eventually we'll, 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 that'll become a crop and we'll, we'll harvest out of that crop. And we know that to be the truth. But also, too, the cool thing about that is what we begin to sow today, the good things that we begin to sow in our lives, that also becomes a crop, and we can yield out of that. But see, the book of Job shows us that, that sometimes bad things happen to good people. 
It's not just the, it's one of the great comforting things of the book of Job is it answers that question for us. That it's, this isn't just the struggles that I'm having right now, the suffering that I'm at, the, my, my health difficulties, my loss, whatever that looks like in your life. It, it's not just the result of something that you've done. But, but Herod doesn't really know God. And, and, and so he's believing that this is somehow the result of something that he's done in his past. So this is haunting him, and this begins to, you know, just, and we know what this is like, too, this idea that, that when we believe that we're just finally getting our just dues. See, the, the beauty of the gospel is this, is that we don't get our just dues, that, that we don't, it's not based in what we deserve, it's based in God's grace, and gra- grace in itself, the very definition of grace is to receive this goodness that we don't deserve, that we didn't earn. That we weren't so smart that, that God gave it to us. Nothing like that, but simply because we went to God that he offers forgiveness. You see, see, Herod has no concept of forgiveness, and because he has no concept of forgiveness in his life, he's haunted by his past. I hope that that's not you today. I hope that today that's not you, that you're not continuing to be haunted by your past. I, I, I pray that, that you've given your past to Jesus, that you've laid that at the cross, that you've trusted him to, to forgive and to renew and to restore you and to start you on a new path. So it goes on to say, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised, for it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. So it's kind of this interesting thing. We've got John the Baptist now who has shown up, and he's shown up to the highest guy in the land, and he's telling this guy, he's just giving truth to him. He's saying, look, what you're doing is wrong. You can't do that. You can't take your brother's wife. That's, that's not a good practice. That's not, that's just, those aren't things that bring good life-giving things into families and communities and these kinds of things. And so, so John presents him with this truth. Now, John was an interesting guy. Jesus said this about John. He said John was the greatest, uh, out of those who are born of a woman or, or, or the natural people of this earth, there's none greater than John. But he said this, in the kingdom of heaven, even the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And what does that mean? Well, that, that means that John was, was, as good as he was, he was still a sinful man. He, he still fell short. He still wasn't like he hadn't attained to it up here. But in the kingdom of heaven, it's going to be different, right? When, when, when we live in that place where, where, we've, where, where sin has been dealt with and where, where we've been renewed in, in a place where in the very presence of God, we will never again choose sin. And so therefore, the greatest or the least in that kingdom is greater than anybody who's here. But the hope is, is that one day God promises to deliver us all into that place. See, Herod stood between John and Herodias, in a way. 
Herod didn't want to kill John, but he was good to put him in prison, but he was scared to kill him. He was like, there's something about that guy. There's something about him. When he, when he speaks and when he talks, there's, there's something that's resonating into Herod and into his heart. And he's like, ugh. But see, Herodias has a huge influence in his life. And I, and I think that to some degrees, this is, a, this is really a picture of, of power being wielded several different ways, both by Herod and Herodias. Herod having the power as king to, to put somebody to death and to do that, and Herodias, the, the influence that she has over Herod. We should all take a deep sense of like, ugh, with the amount of power that we wield in our lives. What we can really do in our lives, how, how we can really, you know, the Bible says things like that, that life and death are in the tongue. The power of life and death are in our very tongues, that, that the words that we speak are either life-giving or they produce death and decay around us. So it's important what we say and what we speak and the power that we wield. We need to be um, people who recognize that as, we're, as you're dealing with the spouse or with your kids or, or, or your neighbor or whatever that looks like, we have the opportunity, we need to ask ourselves before we speak and before we do the different things, is this going to bring life or is it going to bring death? It's kind of a great thing to look at that by and say, which is this going to bring? If I do this or I say this, what will it bring? But Herod stays, stands between John and Herodias, and she wants him put to death. Why? <laughs> because he's saying what, what, what they've got going on isn't okay. And she wants it to be okay. And this is who we are. You know, we, we basically want to set the terms. We want to set the terms by which we live. And if we believe something to be good, right, and beautiful or, or whatever, we, we, we don't want to hear sometimes anything that might be contradictory to that. We don't like to always hear the truth. Sometimes we just, we shut the truth out. And sometimes we believe, well, the, the worst problem that we have is that we believe ourselves to be the ones who determine truth, what's good and what's evil. You see, that's the very nature, that's the very core deception in the garden is that you too will determine for yourselves what's good and evil. That you won't need God, that, that you can just do that, you can bypass God and you can determine that for yourself. And so where God is showing up through this prophet, John the Baptist, Herod and Herodias do not want to hear what he has to say. And it's incredibly important that they hear this because these are people in leadership. People in leadership have to do things right. And we're willing to go to extreme measures to quiet the voice that would disagree with us. We're really ready to shut that door, to push somebody away, to not listen, to not accept, to... to in prison, basically to kill these people. What we're, what we're seeing here is this amazing kind of microcosm of, of, of the whole of kind of scripture here and our approach really even to Jesus. And we'll, we'll look at that some more here in a minute, but we want to set the standards. We want to determine what's good and evil. Herod was actually afraid of John, and it says that he liked to hear him. There was something there. There was something that was drawing Herod. And, and I want to encourage you here today. Maybe you've just come to church a lot. And maybe you kind of like it. And maybe whenever we, the, the, the word starts to come to you, you start to go, wow, there's something to that. 
There, there's something to that that pulls at me. There's something, there's some element of truth that resonates with my spirit about what's kind of going on and what's being said. I want to encourage you to respond to that. Don't just hear it. Don't just kind of like it. Don't just respect it, but really ultimately surrender your life to it. But an opportunity came. Some translations say an opportune time. When Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish, and I will give it to you. And he vowed to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half my kingdom. So this is now the daughter of Herodias. Uh, Josephus tells us that her name was Salome. And she comes in, now she's brought into this. And this is really ugly when, when people start bringing kids into their manipulation and and, and sin and, and this kind of stuff. So now she uses her daughter in this twisted plot, this opportune time. It's a really ugly manipulation. And, and her daughter goes and does this erotic dance before Herod at his birthday party and all of his guests. And it says it so pleased him that he was willing to give half of his kingdom. Now, I don't know about you, but that just doesn't make good sense, Right? Like one dance, and I'll give you half my kingdom. I mean, it's a big deal. This guy's got a lot of wealth, right? But, and we laugh about those kinds of things, right? Because they don't make sense. Because that's unreasonable. Because that's kind of dumb. But you see, when lust really takes over in our lives, it starts to cost us more than, than, than what we're really willing to pay or give. It has more pull on us than what we want to really reckon with, and, and it begins to rob out of our lives. You know, there's, <clears throat> there's a story of Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob and Esau, they're twins, and they've grown up, and Esau's the oldest. He's the, he's the one with the right of inheritance. He's the one who's going to become the leader of the family. And uh, one day he's been out hunting, he comes in. And Jacob has his stew that smells really great. It smells really good. He's like, mm, man, give me some of that stew. And Jacob says, okay, I'll give you some of the stew, but you got to give me your birthright. You got to let me be the eldest. You, you, you got to be, I, I get to be the oldest now and you be the youngest and I'll give you this bowl of stew. And it says this, it says that Esau said, what good is my birthright if I die of hunger today? And it says he's traded his birthright for a bowl of stew. And a lot of you smile when I say that because, again, it doesn't make sense. But we've got to remember what we're talking about. You see, there's this reality in our lives that if we let those things get a hold of us, if we let lust begin to, to run our lives and, and rule our lives, the book of James says this. It says that, it says that when... when that we are enticed and led away by our own lust. And when lust conceives, it gives birth to, death, to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You see, 
We laugh about those things <clears throat> because it's this unreasonable exchange. It's this exchange of the entirety of my future and everything I have so that I'm gratified today. I'll sell it for a bowl of stew. I'll give half away for an erotic dance. But you see, this becomes a reality in our lives. We laugh about it, but this becomes very much a reality in our lives at different times when we begin to give in to some of these things and we allow things into our lives and we, we believe that the cost won't be near as much as what it is. We laugh about it because it doesn't make sense, but then we turn around and we live it out. We give away our future and our hope and all of these good things that God has for us because we desire to be gratified today or we get enticed and carried away and led off into it. It's why it's so important for us to stay focused on Jesus and what he calls us to. And so she went out and said to her mother, for what should I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. Nice birthday party, huh? It says he was sorry. It said that he, he was regretting what would happen. And you see, this is what happened. If you look at this, what you're seeing is that, is that John's or Herod's sin is, has come full circle and it's come back around to him and now it's facing him, except this time it's facing him with more sin, John's head on a platter. It started out with John's proclamation to him that what was wrong, well, let's just shut you up and let's get you out of here. Let's put you in prison. But ultimately, when we don't repent, we don't turn away from those things, we face it again. We so often face our sin again. And not only we face it again, but it's compounded. And what does it bring? It brings sorrow. It brings, I'm sad. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that this happened. We got to watch our oaths. The Bible tells us not to make oaths, not to swear by this or that or any of those things. And watch your company. Because it says that because of the oath that he had made and the company that he was in, he followed through with compounding the, the struggles in his life further haunting him. And, and now we see because of the beginning of the chapter that this is something that's, that, that he's thinking about all the time. As he hears this ministry of Jesus, he's like, oh my gosh, that's that guy. That's John the Baptist that I had beheaded. See, this is just a reminder of the ugliness of our sin, a reminder of how much our sin haunts us and how it comes back around to visit us. There's a lot of in-betweens here. It's kind of an interesting thing. If you think about it, you've got, you've got John the Baptist, who's between Herod and Herodias, telling them what you're doing is wrong. You've got Herod, who's between John the Baptist and Herodias, who's saying, I want to kill him. You've got Salome, who is between 
Herodias, Herod, and John the Baptist. And if you put Jesus between any of those things, it changes the entire equation. Jesus in between and, and, and interceding for us in our sin and those places where we fall short and those, those bad decisions that we've made, you got to make sure that Jesus is between you and that sin. And this is a warning too. Like I said, if, you're, if you find yourself like Herod and you're just intrigued, but you haven't committed Hebrews 3, 7, and 8 says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. And this is just a vision that we've got to grab hold of because until we see something more glorious, we'll continue to, to just be pulled in and enticed by our own lusts by the things that we see as beautiful, by the things that, that, that we desire, the things that get a hold of us and then begin to pull us away. But at the end of the day, the cost is so much higher than what we want to have to pay. It's going to take you further than you want to go, and it's going to cost you more than you want to have to pay. The solution to that is to see God in His glory, to recognize Him for who He is, to, to, to be sold out to living our lives in a way that brings him honor and glory, the way that a life that proclaims him to be right and good. The chapter then, it ends this way. It says, when his disciples, oh, it says, they brought his head on a platter and they gave it to the girl. She gave it to her mother. And then when the disciples heard of it, they came and they took his body and they laid it in a tomb. So John's disciples came, and they, they, they took John's body, and they, they put it in a tomb. And Jesus, it says, too, that his, his um, in Luke, it says that his disciples returned, and they told him all about what had been going on as they went out. They told him about their experiences. And it says this. It says that he, he said, look, let's... They got in a boat, and it says that they went away, and they went to a place where they could rest. And I think just what a, what a picture, too, that idea, too, that that's the church, that the, the church is meant to be that, that body of believers and those people who, who go out and they proclaim the truth of what God's Word says. And sometimes that's an offense, and, and so that won't want to always be heard. But one day, the promise is, is when we, when we return and we've, we've done this job that we've been sent out to do, he's going to take us to a place of rest. And we'll be there forever and ever and ever. And it'll be good. It'll be really good. So we're just to remember that, that I think that we're supposed to take heed in this little spot here. We're going to it's gonna tr it's, the, the, the text is going to start to go back into the miracles and the ministry and the excitement of what Jesus is doing. But I think that it takes this little pause here so that we can take a pause and we can take heed and we can remember that we're all one bad decision away from a completely different life. That sin is tempting, that it lives in us, that it's a real pull that it really pulls on us and it, 
it can even provide a temporary relief to whatever it is that we're going through. But at the end of the day, it's a liar, and it never provides for us what we truly think it will or think it ought to. At the end of the day, it begins to rob and steal from us. So yeah, I think that we just all need to remember and take heed, um, recognize, I have to recognize the capacity that I have for sin in my own life, and so do you. So Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you when it's hard, too. We thank you when it, when it, when it just doesn't really resonate in such a nice, uh, fuzzy place, but then it, re- it does resolve in truth in us, and it, it, and it comes in, and it, it witnesses with our spirit that, yeah, that's right. I, I have to be careful. I have to watch how I live my life. I have, to, I have to be guarded. I don't have to be fearful, but I do have to be guarded because within me is a capacity to do the wrong stuff. So, Lord, help us that we would be light, that we would truly be the salt of the earth, the light that you've called us to be, that we would... Um, that we would be a blessing to the world around us, that we would go out and as we leave here today, that we would serve the, the, the community that's around us with love and with compassion, that we would offer up the hope that you've given to us. Lord, help us that we might make a difference to somebody this week as we walk out our lives and help us to take heed, to remember where we've come from, to remember what it looks like to, to, have, to, to live our lives apart from you and, and what, we've, what that looked like. And so help us just to, to live in the, light of, in the light of something more glorious. Help us to be obedient because we see you for who you are. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.